Genesis 24. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to the, la- to the land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels loaded with all the kinds of goods, good things from his master. He set out from Aram Naharam and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, she says... Drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trowel, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becker and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethel, the son of Micah, born to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the God, be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord, as for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. 
The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebekah had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and had heard that Rebekah tell what the man said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out there? I prepared the house and the place for the camels. So the man went to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels, and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Zarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, You must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites whose, live, whose land I live in, but go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. And then I asked my master, What if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, The Lord whom I have walked faithfully will send his angels with you and make your journey a success, so that you can get a wife for my son from my own clan and from my father's family. You will be released from my oath if, when you go to my clan, they refuse to give her to you, and then you will be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey on which I have come. See, I am standing beside this spring. If a young woman comes out to draw water, I say to her, and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, drink, and I will draw water for your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went to the spring and drew water, and I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethel, son of Nahor, whom Malka bore to him. I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who led me on the right road to get to the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me so that I may know which way to turn. Laban and Bethel answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or another. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold, silver, jewelry, and articles of clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, "'Send me on my way to my master.' But her brother and her mother replied, Let the young woman remain with us ten days or so, then you may go. But he said to them, Do not detain me, now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way, so I may go to my master. They said to him, Let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebekah and asked her, Will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent their sister Rebekah on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. 
They blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offsprings possess the cities of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back to the, with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Beh Laha Roy, for he was living in Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is this man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done, and Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Well done. Epic reading, hey? Just, uh, that's a long time to listen, so just turn to the person next to you, and if you're married, say, tell them how, or reminisce about how you met, got together the first time, or if you're single, ask um, how your mum and dad got together, if you know that. Go on, 30 seconds, go. Okay. You can share those stories over morning tea if you've heard a good one. Well, just to change tack, have you ever wondered what you might say on your deathbed? So I know it's a bit morbid for Father's Day in here, but when you, your last days, what are you going to be trying to sort out? What would you like your last words to be? So that's a bit morbid, as I say. So here's a Father's Day joke for you instead, all right? This is about an old father who, like a lot of our dads, um, likes to be frugal, you know, economic. Some might say stingy. Okay, there he goes. There's an old dad, he's lying in his bed, and it's his last day, you know, he's dying. And with a very weak voice, he says, Is my wife here? Yes, dear, I'm here, I'm here. Oh, good, good. Are my children here? Yes, dad, we're all here, we're all, all around you, we're with you. Oh, good, good. Are my grandchildren here? Yes, granddad, we're all here, all the grandchildren are here. Then why is the light in the kitchen still on? He says. <laughs> the reason um, I ask about our deathbeds is for this new series we're picking up near where we left off last June with Jacob's granddad. With a series mostly about Jacob, but we're starting off with his granddad Abraham, and he's nearing the end of his life, so he's thinking ahead about what's going to become of his family after he's gone. So let's think about it more positively, you know, for Father's Day. Dad's here today. What are your hopes and dreams for your children? What do you, you know, what do you want to provide for them? So far as it's up to you, what direction in life do you want to point them in? And not just dads, any of us, thinking about our own lives. What purposes and hopes and dreams do we have for our own lives? I mean, what is life really all about, and how are we going to live in light of that? Now, it's not every romantic getting-together story that involves camels, but this one about how Jacob's mum and dad, Rebecca and Isaac, got together. It's a great one, isn't it? I mean, it's a long one, but it's a good one. It's the longest narrative, like, chunk of story in Genesis. That's why I had it all read out, because God must have put it there for a reason. And it's a story that shows us God's kindness and faithfulness. If you don't take anything else away from today, remember that. God's kindness and faithfulness. 
a kind and kindness and faithfulness we can be so sure of, we can base all our plans and hopes and dreams on it. So there's an outline in your leaflet if you find that kind of thing helpful. We'll look at in light of kindness, signs of kindness, and responding in kind. So first, in light of kindness. First, just a quick recap where we're up to in Genesis. So Genesis begins with God's kindness, doesn't it, in creation, generously including us in enjoying his glory, uh, filling the earth with good things for us to enjoy. But Genesis has also been this story of humanity's rejection of that perfect, abundant life of loving, right relationship with God. Um, exchanging that for the false hope of running things our own way. And there's been glimmers of hope, Noah for instance, but even as Noah steps down the plank off the ark, God knows that the human heart always ends up seeking evil, seeking to reject God. So God would still have been kind and good and gracious, just leaving us like that really, leaving us to our own devices. But instead, he chooses one bloke, Abraham, to bless and to through him to bless the whole world somehow. And God's made a covenant or like a contract with Abraham to bless him with land, loads of offspring, and being a key part in God saving the world. So here's so some of those uh, of that contract he's made. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to this other land, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse whoever, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What a promise. Uh, carries on in chapter 15. He took Abram out, God took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if you can indeed count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Off, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. So offspring, land, blessing. Now, we looked at Abram's story last year. As I said, you can find those talks online. And what we saw is that Abraham was kind of an encouraging failure. Sometimes a man of great faith and sometimes a real doubter taking matters into his own hands. But in the end, he trusts God and takes him at his word that he will keep these promises. So, as chapter 24 begins, verse 1, Abram was now very old and the Lord had blessed him in every way. So in chapter 23, we've just had his wife Sarah's funeral. As Abram sits back in his recliner after that and looks around, he knows he's really blessed. You know, he's wealthy, but more importantly, God has miraculously provided a son, Isaac, Sarah becoming pregnant in her 80s. So against all odds, God has kept his promises. God has been kind. But what about this promise of the land? Well, again, in chapter 23, Abram's done a, this kind of like lengthy negotiation with the Canaanites. And the, that's the land he's in, Canaan. Um, and the land that's promised to him. And he's bought a little plot of land to bury Sarah in. Um, and in that account, his state, Abram's status as sort of an alien stranger in the land is emphasized. It's a practical act of faith. 
spending money in light of the promises God has made him. He's acting in light of God's promised kindness. And the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament talks about that. He says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from the distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. So now, as Abram approaches the end, blessed as he is, Abram's thinking, well, this can't be it. He knows that the promise of blessing can't die with him because God's promises are so huge, you know, all peoples on earth to be blessed through him. Well, this, it can't all end with Abraham. So in light of the promise of God's kindness to his offspring and through his offspring, as far as it's up to Abraham, he wants to do practical things for his son, Isaac, to receive those promises. So, first cab off the rank, first thing he needs to sort out is finding Isaac, the right wife. And who this wife needs to be is determined by his trust that God is going to keep his promises. So in choosing this wife for Isaac, he's acting in light of God's promised kindness. So verse 3, he doesn't want Isaac marrying into a Canaanite family. So the promises are for Abram's clan, so he wants to keep them in the family. And so his servant who is given this job is thinking, all right, well, no worries. But if Isaac's wife is going to be from Abram's clan, surely the easiest thing to do is just take Isaac back up to where Abram's family is from back to where they live. But Abram says, no way. It's like me saying to Robert and Owen and Miv, look, these colonials, they're not good enough for you. You know, your spouse has got to be from the mother country, from England. But you're definitely not allowed to go to England to find an English person. You know, why make it all harder like that? Well, Abram doesn't want Isaac setting down roots back in Abram's clan's homeland and giving up on Canaan, where he is now. He wants his family firmly placed in the land of promise. It's the harder option, but it's the right one, because in the long run, it's lining up with where God is focusing his kindness. See, when we emigrated to Australia, we'd heard about and actually we met, whinging ponds. Have you heard of them? Yeah. Whinging ponds. And they never settle here because their focus isn't on a future where they are settled here and they've got used to how it's different here. But their, their focus is on back on what they're missing from back home. Well, Abram's focus is, is firmly on the promises for the much greater blessings of the future than the sort of temporary easy blessing of the quick fix now. So in his last days, Abram is seeking to make sure all his, plans for his, all his plans for his family line up with God's plans for his family. He's looking forward to God's promises of kindness beyond his own death. So applying this to us then, you know, we're not Abram, we're not um, Israel or anything like that. But is that what we're doing? You know, the promises for Abraham were offspring beyond number in loving relationship with God in a promised land with more than they needed. So uh, you can categorize God's people under God's loving rule in God's place. 
And that somehow through this family, the whole world is going to be in on this blessing. Well, we've seen those promises fulfilled in one of Abram's offspring, Jesus. Through Jesus, the promise for us is not, it's not a patch of land in the Middle East. It's life beyond our death in a new heaven and earth, forgiven and accepted by God himself. Free to enjoy him in this life and the life to come. And it's not just for Abram's descendants. It's for anyone who will throw their lot in Jesus as their savior and king of their lives. Those are the plans to line up all our plans with. Plans of eternal significance. Because again, what is life all about? What are we expecting from life? What are we expecting from God? How we answer those questions determines what we do with our time, uh, how we raise our children, what we do with our money, our plans, our hopes and dreams, our priorities. So it's worth asking ourselves, do our plans show that we trust God's promises to be kind and faithful to us? Or do they show that we reckon blessing is to be found elsewhere? Because life's really all about knowing and loving our great creator God. That's what life's about. God has proven over and over that he's kind and faithful. And life is about knowing the blessings he promises for us now and for beyond our life beyond our death. So my encouragement to us all is don't settle for anything less. Don't line up your plans for your life, for your children, with false gospels of this life. Line them up with the great promises we have in Jesus. See, Abram's plans for Isaac were much harder, humanly speaking, much higher chance of failure. But they were the right plans, the right priorities when you consider what God had promised him. And our plans to live for God can often make life much harder, much less convenient. But in the light of his promises to us in Jesus, they're the right thing. They're the right priority. Living in light of kindness. Okay, next, signs of kindness. You've got to feel sorry for this poor old servant, haven't you? Sent on this job. A bit of a tall order to find this perfect bride. I mean, what's your type? Have you got a type? It's okay, it's okay to have a type that you're more naturally attracted to. I mean, I struck gold. My type was, uh, you know, red hair, fair skin. Sharon's type was uh, olive skin and a full head of dark flowing locks. <laughs> we can't all be winners, can we? But, uh... Abram's servant, he's got to find an eligible woman who's from Abram's clan. And not only that, she's got to be willing to travel to a foreign land she's never been to before to meet a bloke, marry a bloke that she's never met. As if that wasn't enough, the servant then asks for signs, doesn't he, that whoever he finds is the right one. Verse 14, may it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Bearing in mind he's got 10 thirsty camels with him, 
Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. I mean, what do we do with stories like this in the Bible? You know, is this dating advice for us? Should we ask God for signs like this and tell God what the sign should be? Lord, you know, she's the right one. Please let her not only say yes to coming on a date, but please let her pay the bill as well (laughs) and laugh at all my jokes. No, it's not dating advice. Verse 7, before he sets off, the sun sets off, Abram's had very specific situational promise from God that an angel would go before his servant to prepare someone for the servant to find. So there you go. If you've had a disastrous day, it wasn't your fault. It's because you didn't have an angel going before you, okay? Secondly, we're dealing with the birth of the nation of God's promised people here, not our romantic preferences. And thirdly, the emphasis here isn't that if she does this, that, and the other, then she's good enough a good enough wife for Isaac. Now, the servant isn't asking for qualifications. He's looking for indications, signs, that she's the one that God has already said he will provide. He's asking for signs of God's kindness. Kindness. Just have a look in verse 12, 14, and 27. I think I've got a slide there, Robert. Kindness. The servant recognizes all of this as God's kindness to Abraham. And the word translated kindness there is hesed in the Hebrew. It's a really important word in the Old Testament. Um, One of the most important words to describe God's character. And it's got the sense of steadfast, unfailing, always there, never ending love. Hesed. Kindness. This is all God's kindness to Abraham. Now, Abraham's instructions, the servant's request, all seems a bit daft, unless you factor in the promises God has made and what God is like. See, God's promised him the land, and he's promised him offspring. So, in other words, Isaac is definitely going to be provided with the right wife. And if you take that as read... The servant is just asking God to sort of fast forward the process so that he doesn't have to knock on every door with his ten camels and introduce himself. And the storytelling's great, isn't it? And that's why I had David and the boys read the whole thing. God in his wisdom has had some of his word put into this long-form storytelling. And getting our minds into the story helps us not just hear the proposition that God is kind... But it helps us to feel and imagine what the experience of that happening to us feels like. So let's pick out some highlights from the story. Verse 15, Rebecca turns up and she's from the right family. First box ticked. She's from Abram's clan. Verse 16, then you can almost hear like, you know, the Barry White or the smoochy saxophone music playing. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled a jar, and came up again. She's looking like the one. Verse 17, the servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered her jar to to her hands and gave him a drink. Full stop. Is that it? 
What about the camels? Is she going to be the one? Verse 19, after she'd given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. Woohoo! Yes, she's the one. Now, incidentally, I don't know if you noticed, camels get a lot of airtime in this story, don't they? You know, a good thing to do when you look at any Bible passage is look for repeated words. They're not always helpful. Camels are in here 17 times. That's more than Abraham. And in verse 25, I wonder if Rebecca is making a camel joke. She invites them back to the house. We have plenty of straw and fodder, uh, as well as room for you to stay the night. You know, camels first, servant next. I think, and I don't say this is gospel, I've not had a chance to look into it properly. I think we and Rebecca's family are supposed to understand from 10 camels that God has provided for, it's been kind to Abram with lots of wealth, and that this Isaac, potential husband, is going to be a net contributor to this family dynamic and economy. I think that's what the camels are about. Anyway, everything we're told about Rebecca as well tells us that she, she's still, as her own woman with her own agency, she's, still, she's God's provision. And the story's got this sense of urgency and speed to it. Instancy, verse 15, before the servant had finished praying, he answers the prayer. And Rebecca herself does things quickly. She runs, quickly puts the jar down. Laban, he hurries out to meet the servant. God's making his plans happen quickly in his kindness and his faithfulness. And then you probably notice the servant repeats the whole story for the family. And repetition in the Old Testament is usually used to show fulfillment, to show, to show that what God is going to say was going to happen, happened. That this is no coincidence. He's saying, look at God's kindness in joining up all the dots for us. So the servant's reaction to all this is our guide to us, to what to take from this story. Verse 27. Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. God has been kind to Abraham and he's giving kind to his servant, helping him get the job done. God is kind and faithful. So it makes perfect sense to take God at his word and to hang our hats on his promises. It makes sense to trust God with our lives because he is demonstrably proven to be kind and faithful. So given that, the servant has a challenge for Rebecca's family. Will they respond in kind our last heading will they respond in kind after the servants finished telling this story he straight asked the family verse 49 now if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master tell me if not tell me so i may know which way to turn god has answered the servant's prayer to show kindness to his master will rebecca's family Responding kind. Will they show kindness by letting Rebecca go? Yes. Verse 50. Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. And when asked Rebecca herself, replies, I will go. 
but God's kindness isn't finished yet. Rebecca's family prayers line up with God's promises to Abraham. Verse 60, and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. And so she meets Isaac. Everything runs smoothly. It's a nice betrothal. Everything's in place. And they marry. Rebecca replacing Sarah as the matriarch of the family. Literally a match made in heaven. So God has been kind and faithful to Abraham, keeping the promise of blessing going to the next generation. God has been kind and faithful to us. In Jesus, he's turned up in person to save us from our sin and its just deserts. To win, win us rescue into right relationship with him, forgiven and secure forever to bless us in this life and the life beyond death and this story is a call for us to respond in kind to be kind and faithful to those in our lives in making our plans in using our time setting our priorities to be kind and faithful as God has been kind and faithful to us But more importantly, it's a call to respond to God's faithfulness to us with faith in him. To take him at his word and trust him with our lives. It makes perfect sense to trust God because he is kind and he is faithful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this story. Thank you for your kindness to Abraham. That means your promises went forwards, were fulfilled in Jesus, and we are that uncountable multitude. We're part of that today. Lord, please help us to respond in kind. Please, where we're doubting, please give us faith. Where we're unkind, please grow us in kindness, the kind of kindness you show, that unfailing love. Amen.